open your Bibles, please, this morning to the Gospel of Luke, if you would. The Gospel of Luke, uh, the 12th chapter, as you see, we are doing a series right now on the parables, the stories that Jesus told, uh, pondering the parables. Luke chapter 12, please, this morning. Luke chapter 12, those boys and girls that are going to Children's Church can head out, please. Uh, Luke chapter 12. Uh, Many years ago, an American company um, had trouble keeping employees working in their assembly plant in Panama. Uh, What was going on was the laborers lived in a generally agrarian barter economy, and this company was paying them in cash. And since the average employee had more cash in hand after a week's work than they'd ever seen, uh, they would periodically quit working. Uh, satisfied with what they had. I mean, they'd never had this much cash before, so they were pretty happy about it. So they just quit for a while. And so they needed a solution. I mean, it's hard to keep an assembly plan or anything running uh, if you can't keep employees. So the company executives, they got together and they came up with a decision and a solution to the problem. What they did is they gave all of the employees a Sears catalog. Y'all remember those, the Sears catalog? We don't see those as much now because of the Internet, right? But you know what happened? They gave all the employees a Sears catalog. And you know what? No one quit then because they all wanted the previously undreamed of things that they saw in that book. Now, I'll tell you that story this morning because we're going to go look at um, what has become one of my favorite parables, I guess, because I seem to return to it. Uh, quite a bit, uh, again and again through the years. And it's a passage I've looked at, I've preached on it various times. And it's the story of the rich farmer. The story of the rich farmer in Luke chapter 12. And I want to pick up the story there at verse 13. And then we'll read down through verse 21. Luke chapter 12, verse 13, as we ponder again uh, one of the parables the Lord Jesus told. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink and be merry. Verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Notice that first word we read together. The first word of verse 13 is the word then. That causes us to stop for a moment and ponder and look back at what's already taken place in Luke chapter 12. And it forces us to go back in the chapter. If you go back to the very first verse, if you turn a page back or glance up, look what the first verse says. It's very interesting. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another. Get that picture in your mind. So many people trying to gather to the Lord Jesus, they were actually trampling people. 
kind of like one of those Black Friday uh, newscasts you see when you're watching on TV and you say, my goodness, all that for a Cabbage Patch doll or for a video game or whatever. They're people being trampled. And it says in verse one, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And the Lord Jesus talks about hypocrisy. Among other things, he talks about the fear of God, confessing Christ before men. Then pick up verse 11. We'll kind of go into where we are. Verse 11. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you that very hour what you ought to say. Then one of the crowd said to him, teacher, get my brother to divide the inheritance with me. The Lord Jesus is teaching on all these important subjects and this important truth. And here you have a man in the crowd that day that decides to interrupt the Lord Jesus. And he blurts out his request. I don't know if Jesus took a breath. I don't know if he paused for a moment. But this man jumped in right away and blurted out his request. That Jesus would intervene in a financial dispute that he and his brother were having over an inheritance. Now, I don't know why I never thought about this before, but as I was studying this past week, this passage, and it's amazing, you can read a Bible passage and study it, and all of a sudden you think about something. I suppose then, this is so obvious, but I, I never really thought about it. I assume and I suppose that the man's brother was in the crowd. And because he says, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So I don't know if they were seated together, if they were somewhere apart, they were standing together. Don't know where the brother, maybe he didn't know if the brother was there or not. But anyway, you have this man and he interrupts the Lord Jesus over an inheritance. You've heard the saying, I suppose, right? Where there's a will, there's a lot of relatives. And you have an inherited situation here that was not working out very well. And there's a lesson for us right away, even before we get to the parable itself. And it's a lesson that we all need to understand. In fact, I want to encourage you to take some notes today. You can write at the top of your page, I need to. And then I want to give you three things to fill in under that. First of all, I need to pay attention to the word. I need to pay attention to the word. Here you have the living word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's teaching. What must it have been like to listen with your own ears, not read, but listen to the Lord Jesus Christ teach to see him, to hear him, to watch him. And here he is talking about hypocrisy and the fear of God and confessing Christ before men and talking about persecution that you'll face. Don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit will give you guidance. And here you are. The Lord Jesus is teaching and this man interrupts Jesus. It tells us he was not really listening to what Jesus was saying. Now, can I just testify for a moment? As a preacher of the gospel, this is an encouragement to me. You know why? Some people won't even listen, even if Jesus is the preacher. That's an encouragement to me. That's an encouragement. Hallelujah. Praise. This is for me. If for no, maybe that's why I keep coming back to this passage. But Jesus is t- he's teaching these truths and they're given to us. The living word is teaching. And here we have it in the written word. And this man is not really listening. Why? He's preoccupied with his own problems and he's not really receiving the word of God. You know, we studied a couple of weeks ago about the parable of the sower. A sower went out to sow seed. Remember? And there were different types of ground that the seed represented the word of God and the ground represented the different hearts. And one of the types of soil 
And one of the types of hearts we talked about was the distracted heart. Let me remind you, it was in Luke 8, verse 7. And it says, some of that seed fell among the thorns, and thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And then you go on in Luke chapter 8, verse 14, it tells us what that means. Luke 8, 14 says, now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, listen, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. At this point, this man in the crowd is a picture of that distracted heart. He's thinking about his inheritance. He's thinking about money. He's thinking about his problems. Jesus Christ is teaching, but he's not receiving it because thorns are there and he's distracted and he's choking out the word of God. Now, in all fairness, though, we don't know how the man responded once Jesus was done teaching that day. Because Jesus is about to address him and them and all of us by what he's about to say. Now, look at this response in verse 14. Maybe surprising to you. He says in verse 14, but he that is Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Now, some scholars, when you study this, say, well, Jesus was saying here, really, I have no legal authority to judge this matter uh, between you. And so I can't legally Settle this matter. Now, other scholars say, well, no, well, people in that day would bring these issues to the rabbis and they expected the rabbis to give a solution. But I think all that misses the point. I don't think it was about authority or legal authority or being a rabbi or any of that. By the way, can I just say to you that Jesus Christ was fit and he did have the authority to judge between this matter? Why? Because he's God. (laughs) And, and, And he could have, but he chose not to. And here's why, I believe. Here's why we say, wait a minute, preacher, doesn't Jesus care about us? Doesn't he care about what concerns us? Doesn't the Bible say cast all of your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you? Uh, uh, Doesn't Jesus care about financial matters and about inheritance and problems between brothers and all that? Doesn't he care about that? Yes. So when you come here, why does it seem he's rebuking this man? I mean, he literally says to him, man. It's a form of rebuke, I think he says there. Why did Jesus respond in this way? Why did he give a mild rebuke and then this lesson? Well, I think it's because Jesus knew that an inheritance or a lack thereof was not this man's biggest problem. It wasn't his biggest problem. I mentioned last week, and if you weren't here, I apologize. But it's amazing how the Lord seems to build these things as we study one story in One lesson it seems to be. But we studied last week about the fact that um, we're to ask and seek and knock and persistence in prayer. And I made a comment last week that, you know what, sometimes we don't even know what we really need. I I mentioned to you that sometimes, you know, we're praying for a new job, which what we really need is a new attitude. Or we pray for more money and what we really need is contentment. And here this man comes and he brings his prayer request because he's requesting something the Lord. Lord, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. And Jesus says, well, who made me? And then he teaches him something and addresses something that this man really needed. He needed something greater than inheritance. And Jesus saw right through him, which brings us to another important lesson. And we're not even to the parable yet. But there's another lesson that jumps off the page because Jesus is about to tell him something very important. And so you're writing, I need to pay attention to the word. Secondly, I need to beware of greed in my life. I need to be aware of beware of greed in my life. Verses 15 through 20. Look at verse 15 again. He hasn't told the parable yet. He just says to the man and he said to him, take heed 
And beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Let me give it to you in the Holman Christian, because if you have a more modern translation, yours doesn't say covetousness, it says greed. The Holman Christian says it this way. He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed. Because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Take heed. Be careful. Watch out. Be alert. Beware of greed. That desire, that inordinate desire to get more and more and more. Jesus says, listen, beware of that. Be careful. Watch out. I ran across uh, an old Roman proverb that I had not heard, but it really struck a chord with me. There's an old Roman proverb that says it like this. Money is like seawater. The more you drink, the more you want. And this man had a desire. He had obviously greed in his heart and his life. Now, why does Jesus say to the man, beware, be careful about these things? Well, beloved, is it not because greed and covetousness, it can so easily slip into our lives and we don't even realize it at times. Let your neighbor get a new car and park in his driveway. And all of a sudden, your car doesn't look as good as it once did. And if you're not careful, you can begin to covet and have greed. Let a co-worker get a promotion or a raise. And they so, maybe not wisely, but they so freely share with you that they got a raise. And all of a sudden, your paycheck doesn't look as good. It could be as simple as going to a restaurant and... The person with you orders one thing and you decide on another and the plates come. You think, boy, I kind of wish I'd ordered that instead of what I ordered. Would you like to trade? <laughs> Greed and coveting can take on forms uh, in so many ways. And he goes and remind them not only beware and be alert about greed, but he reminds them and us that life is not about how much stuff you can get. Our quality of life is not based upon the quantity of our possessions. I like what John Kirsten said. He said, possessions are dangerous because they can possess us. He said, did you get a new car or did it get you? He said, you used to be free on Saturdays to toss a ball with your kids, but now you have to wax your car and toot it up and keep it running. If we're not careful, possessions can possess us. He said, God has given us all things not to possess, but to enjoy. The Bible says that, by the way. He said the birds sing because they don't have to pay taxes. They don't have to work on their wardrobes or paint their houses. They simply sing and they enjoy what God gives. Do we do the same? They do what God created them to do. They enjoy life. You know, we had a snake here at church this morning. Did y'all know that? It was, it was the thing. He was hanging out in the tree in front of the fellowship hall. Uh, we're not the type of church in case you're worried if you're here. We don't take up the serpent. But he was doing what snakes do. He was hanging out in the tree and relaxing until these weird people came up and started pointing at him and taking photographs. He wasn't worried about taxes. He wasn't worried about any of those things. Do our possessions possess us or do we enjoy them? Be careful of allowing stuff and possessions to take over, to be filled with greed and to elaborate and kind of explain what he's saying further. He tells this parable, the story about a rich farmer. Now, I told you that parable here is setting alongside two things. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's something we know about and learn something we don't know about. And so we can all relate to the story. 
And it's great to preach this kind of story in a setting like this because we're surrounded by farmland and we have farmers among us and we can readily grasp the story. Look at the story. It seems that a rich farmer, and by the way, he was rich before he got richer. Because look at what it says in verse 16. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. Now, nothing wrong with this, by the way. In fact, this is actually a blessing from God Almighty. Why? Because a farmer must cultivate the ground, must plant, must work the ground, all of that. But ultimately, who is it that gives the crop? It's God. He's the one that sends the rain. He's the one that makes the seed sprout and grow. He's the one that blesses. And so this is a blessing from Almighty God that this farmer had a bumper crop. And God has blessed him. But in the next verse, we see where everything begins to go wrong for this man. Verse 17. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? He's already rich. He's already got so many crops stored up. He doesn't have any room for this additional crop. Notice there's no prayer to God. There's no thanksgiving. There's no seeking wise counsel. There's no seeking the good of other people. There's no thought of the poor. There's no thought of the the widow, the orphan, just consulting with himself about the matter. And the amazing thing was, is when he consulted with himself, he was in agreement with himself. Look at what it says in verse 18 and 19. He's done having the meeting with himself, verse 18. So he said, I will do this. Notice the confidence. Notice the presumption. Notice the pride. I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat. Drink. Party. Be merry. Rejoice. Did you notice that this fellow has an I problem? The personal pronouns run amok here. I, 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 my, my, my. There's such selfishness here. This I will do. I'll pull down my barns. I'll build greater. I'll store up my crops. I'll do this. I'll do all these things. It's all about me. I thought about a little piece that um, Deb Lawrence wrote one time. Deb Lawrence was a missionary to the Philippines. And she wrote a piece about, uh, she called it Property Laws of a Toddler. Property laws. This is Mother's Day, a very appropriate thing to share. Think about a toddler. Maybe you're in toddler world right now. I know we are at our house. If you don't believe me, look at the bottom of my shoes. I've got stickers stuck. That's the wrong one. They're already off. I had stickers on my shoes this morning. I had two trains on the bottom of my shoes. I must have walked them off. But we're in toddler world. And we have, here's property laws of a toddler. You ready for them? There are ten of them. Okay? Ten of them. Here's the property laws of a toddler. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing or building something, all of the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. Number nine, if you're playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. And number ten, last but not least, if it's broken, it's yours. The property laws of a toddler. 
And I got to thinking about that. This man's no more mature than a toddler. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. My crops, my goods, my stuff. No thought of God, no thought of others, no thought of the poor, no thought of widows or orphans or anybody else. This guy was just a big toddler. By the way, there are a lot of big toddlers running around, but that's a different story for a different time. He was seeking in these barns and his crops and his stuff things that only God could really and truthfully give. Do you see what he's seeking here? He's seeking security in his stuff. He's seeking satisfaction. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. He's seeking satisfaction in his stuff. He's seeking, he's seeking sufficiency in his stuff. What? I say to my soul, soul thou hast many goods laid up for many years. In fact, the whole plan that he hatches here is a whole plan of self-indulgence. Look at the pride and the arrogance and the presumption that he displays. Speaking to his soul about many years that he has all this stuff he's going to enjoy. Relaxing and feasting and eating and drinking and rejoicing. No thought of others. No thought of God. Now the interesting thing is the rich man has spoken. But now it's time for God to speak. And the verse we're about to read to me. It's one of the most startling verses, I think, of the New Testament. Verse 20. The Bible says, but God said to him, fool. Just let that soak in for a moment. I didn't call the man a fool. You didn't call the man a fool. Somebody else didn't call him a fool. God said to this man, fool. This night... Your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? That's one thing for another person to call you a fool. And by the way, that, that's hurtful. That, that's something that we, we wouldn't likely do that. I hope we we'll never do that. But for God to call you a fool? J.C. Ryle said in the Greek, that word fool here is literally without mind, sense, or understanding. Without mind, sense, or understanding. I like what somebody else said because it so summarized this man. Someone has defined a fool as someone whose plans end at the grave. A fool is someone whose plans end at the grave. Now, did you realize that this man in this story, this rich farmer, he was a practical, practicing atheist. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, he lived as if there were no God. He didn't say there was no God. He just lived that way. A lot of people do the same thing. A lot of people live as practical atheists. They would never say there's no God. They might even admit that there is a God, but they're practicing atheists. Why? Because they live as if there is no God. There's no thought of God in their mind or their heart or their plans. How foolish it is to prepare for retirement, but to fail to prepare for eternity. How foolish is that? Friend, you can have your IRA and your 401k and your 403b and your pension and your bulging bank account. But if you don't have Jesus Christ, you have nothing. Nothing. You have nothing. Now, is it wrong to prepare for the future? No. And God talks about that in his word. And those things can be right and good and a blessing and a glory, a glorifying thing to God. But this man had no thought of God whatsoever. And I ask you. What about you? Do you have thoughts of God? Do you consider God in your life? 
Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You're not prepared for the future if you haven't. Because you're not prepared for eternity. The Bible says that all of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. None that doeth good, no, not one. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And friend, I beg you today, turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, you've written down so far, I need to pay attention to the word. I hope you're still listening, by the way. The word's being proclaimed. I need to pay attention to the word. I need to be aware of greed in my life. Now, one more thing I want you to add. This might be the toughest one of all. I need to focus on God, not myself. I need to focus on God, not myself. Verse 21. In verse 21, Jesus kind of lays down two alternatives. I want you to see if you spot them as I read the verse. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Did you see the two alternatives there? We can either be hoarding up treasure for ourselves or we can be rich toward God. I got to think about that phrase, rich toward God. I thought, what does that mean? I mean, certainly there's an idea of being rich in faith and rich in belief. But I think it really settles upon the idea of treasures in heaven, being rich toward God, having treasures in heaven. Let me read some verses to you. You can jot the reference down. Matthew six nineteen through 21. Listen to these verses. I think you'll think they're familiar for many of you. Matthew six nineteen to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. How's it finished? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we had a lot more time and I thought you would hang around, we could go to 1 Timothy 6 and study it for a while because it is loaded with things that talk about this. But for time's sake and, and so you can get to your Mother's Day lunch, let me just give you... Two or three verses from 1 Timothy 6. Let me give you 1 Timothy 6, 70 through 19. And I want you to listen because it kind of reminds us of how to be rich toward God. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 says, Command those who are rich in this present age. And can I just stop for a moment? That would be all of us here. You say, well, I'm not rich. Yeah, you are. And so am I. We're not using American standards. We're using world standards. And by world standards, every person in this building is filthy rich. We're all rich. This applies to us. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. That man had a problem with haughtiness, didn't he? Nor to trust in uncertain riches. That man trusted in uncertain riches, didn't he? But that is trust in the living God. Now listen to this, this next part. Who gives us richly all Things to enjoy. God is not a cosmic killjoy. He's blessed us richly with many of these things to enjoy. Listen to what it says. Verse 18. First Timothy 6. Here's how to be rich toward God. Let them do good. That they may be rich in good works. Ready to give. Willing to share. Why? Verse 19. Storing up for themselves a good foundation 
for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. In other words, treasuring up treasures in heaven, storing up treasures in heaven. I love what one person said. He said the crucial issue is not the amount of the treasure, our treasure. It's the location of it. It's not the amount, it's the location of it. He said the rich man's treasures were on earth. He was a fool because he built his life upon those things that couldn't last and really didn't matter. The disciples called it to be rich toward God and to lay up treasures in heaven that can never be exhausted. And so we need to focus on God, not ourselves. And as God blesses, and he's blessed us, by the way, we want to enjoy his blessings and we can do that to the glory of God. But we also want to be rich toward God. How? It says there, doing good. Rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up treasures in heaven, being rich toward God, being grateful, being humble, trusting in God, not our riches. That's how to be rich toward God. So in all of our life, our time, our talent, our treasure, everything, our focus is to be upon God, not ourselves. This man's focus was upon himself. Me, my, I, mine, all about me. But that's not our call. Our call is to be focused upon the Lord and be rich toward God. Well, I want to give you four points to ponder and we're done. I told you in each one of these messages, I'm doing something a little bit different. I don't want you just to come sit sour and soak. Okay? Or just sit soaking sour. But anyway, uh, I want you to think about these things. I'm giving you things to take with you to ponder. Four things to ponder this morning as we go. Number one, am I really listening to the word of God? Am I really listening to the word of God? A lot of you sat in Sunday school this morning. If you weren't, I hope you'll come next week. Or if you're visiting back at your church in Sunday school, we were exposed to the word of God. We're listening to the word of God. Are we really listening? Not just. We're really listening. Number two. Am I careful about greed? Do I watch out for it? Am I careful about greed? Do I watch out for it? Greed can so easily slip into our lives. It doesn't come saying, greed calling. No, it just kind of slips in the back door. Like that snake slipping up the tree today. It just slips in. It slips in. That's why Jesus says what? Be careful. Watch out. Be aware. Be alert. Greed is around the corner. Thirdly, this is a tough one. Be honest about it. Do I want my treasure in heaven or on earth? Do I want my treasure in heaven or on earth? Ponder that this week. And then fourthly, I couldn't get away from this one. Am I teaching my children gratitude, giving, and generosity? So that seems like I sort of left field. Well, I'm sorry, but I couldn't get away from it. As I studied, I became more and more burdened about the next generation. We live in a time, beloved, where most of our children and grandchildren have everything and then some. They have everything and then some. And I'm afraid that sometimes many people are giving their children everything money can buy, but forgetting to give them what it can't buy. And we've got to be careful. And I'm going to say a statement that you may not like and you may disagree with it, and that's fine. We don't need to be teaching our children to follow the American dream. We need to teach them to follow the word of the living God. The American dream says, what, get all you can, build up, store up, 
hoard up, do all that, take care of yourself. What does Jesus say? He says, beware of covetousness, beware of greed for a man's life. A person's life does not consist and it's not about how much stuff you have. It's not about the quantity of life. And may I say, as we're seeking to teach our children and grandchildren about gratitude and giving and generosity, may I just say as we close that we teach best by example. May these things be true in our life. May our life be filled with gratitude and giving and generosity, all for the glory of the living God. Father, thank you for your word. It is a shield. It is a refuge. It is instruction in righteousness, correction, direction. Thank you that we can trust your word. And Father, you've confronted us today with your truth. You've spoken to my heart. I believe you've spoken to others. Help us to honestly look at our lives and see where we are on these matters. To ponder these truths and to allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us and to guide us and to help us to be obedient to his leading in our life. Take charge of this invitation, O God. May your will be done. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Our closing hymn as we sing today is 294, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd love to share Christ with you today. Take a Bible and lead you to the cross. The majority of today's message has been for those of us who know Jesus. Maybe he's spoken to your heart about something. Maybe you see some areas that God has spoken to you about. Would you respond today? The altar is open. We invite you to come. You can come and pray on your own. We'd love to pray with you as we stand and sing 294. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Let's stand and sing.